This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast for Saturday the 1st of April 2017. Episode 11, Phone Envy. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to the Intersection Podcast, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. My name is Jonathan Wildman and this week we have a rather tech heavy uh, episode for you. Uh, There's been lots going on in the world of tech, uh, lots of news, rumours and stories that have broken. So without further ado, let's begin the show. Now, it's no real surprise that uh, much of the news in the, during the past week, uh, particularly in the UK, has been dominated by discussion and analysis of the recent terrorist attack that took place in London in Westminster. Uh, and among that news, um, there has been a lot of pressure placed on tech companies um, because it's come to light that the, um, the attacker, in question, Khalid Massoud actually accessed WhatsApp, the WhatsApp uh, chat service, uh, two minutes before he committed the attack. Um, and the authorities, um, while they know he was online and know that he sent a message, um, they can't get to the message. And that's because WhatsApp, um, for about a year now, April last year, introduced um, end-to-end encryption. Now, end-to-end encryption um, does have a lot of uses. Um, Basically, it's a method of scrambling messages, um, the photos and the videos, whatever else you may share on WhatsApp, so that only the people with the relevant um, keys, with the relevant security keys, um, can decipher them. So in that case, only between you, yourself, and the recipient of that message, vice versa. Um, Now... Basically, what it means is that WhatsApp itself um, cannot access those messages. They can't access those messages at all. They can't read those messages. Um, So they have no way of looking at what content has actually been sent between its users. And obviously, after this this terrorist attack, uh, WhatsApp asked to sort of um, disclose what, what message was sent by the attacker, but they were, they were unable to do so. Um, now, the benefits of this is probably best described by one of WhatsApp's founders, um, Jan Kolm, um, who was um, basically um, grew, grew up in, um, Soviet, uh, in the Soviet Union. And sort of re- um, he did describe once um, about what was like, things were like when he... Um, he went. He went to school, and um, in his own his own words, um, he says, "I grew up in a society where everything you did was eavesdropped on, recorded, snitched on. I had friends when we were kids for getting into trouble for telling anecdotes about communist leaders. I remember hearing stories from my parents of dissidents uh, sentenced to exile because of his political, their political views." Um, even um, and then he goes on to say, um, even local distance got fed up with the constant bullshit. Um, 
And then he argues no one should have the right to eavesdrop or you become a totalitarian state. The kind of state I escaped as a kid to come to this country where you have democracy and freedom of speech. I believe he's talking about the United States. Our goal is to protect it. We have encryption between our client and our server. We don't save any messages on our servers. We don't store your chat history. They're all on your phone. Now, um, I, I, I'm all for um, privacy. And I, I actually welcome the fact that WhatsApp introduced um, such an encryption last year. Um, it constantly frustrated me up until last year that WhatsApp was clearly the leading uh, chat platform, but it wasn't very secure initially. And um, not that you have anything to hide, but you just don't want, you know, hackers to be able to get in and get your messages. And, and you know, we've, we, we've seen breaches like that before. And more and more people use WhatsApp than any other chat platform, I would argue. And while it wasn't never the best one, you just simply had to have it because you, if you want to stay in contact with, um, you know, colleagues and, and friends and family, chances are they're using that. So I, I totally welcome the news that they introduced um, the encryption, into um, an encryption last year. Um, now, the problem is this message that the UK authorities can't get hold of. Now, the problem is that they have now um, applied pressure on WhatsApp uh, to change their policy. So they want to make an example out of WhatsApp. And it's actually the British Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, um, who's in charge of uh, such policy in the UK. And basically, um, the authorities aren't happy. They aren't happy at all that that uh, companies such as WhatsApp and, and to extent even Apple with iMessage um, are... I would say protecting its users, but they would say um, creating a place for terrorists to speak in, in secret. Um, but I'll quote her words. It is completely unacceptable. There should be no place for terrorists to hide. We need to make sure that organizations like WhatsApp, and there are plenty of others like that, don't provide a secret place for terrorists to communicate with each other. In this situation, we need to make sure that our intelligence services have the ability to get into situations like encrypted WhatsApp. And OK, so this almost reminds me of what happened with Apple and uh, the FBI, uh, where there were two people linked uh, to terrorist attacks and they got hold of the terrorist iPhone and the Apple just couldn't get into it because it was secured by Touch ID. Um, and they were looking for, well, trying to put pressure on Apple to provide a back door into iOS for any, you know, in, in, in a future update. So it seems to me that, yes, messages are encrypted, but UK authorities are putting pressure on tech companies to provide a back door. And, and for some reason, um, Amber Rudd continues uh, and targets Tim Cook and, and Apple and says, if I were talking to Tim Cook, I would say to him that this, this is something completely different because obviously Tim Cook defended the right to privacy, particularly after that FBI um, affair. We're not saying open up. We don't want to go into the cloud. We don't want to do all sorts of things like that. What we do want is to recognize that they have responsibility to engage with governments and engage with law enforcement agencies when there is a terrorist situation. We would do it all carefully through um, uh, fought. Through, no, we do it all through the carefully fought through legally covered arrangements. But they cannot get away with saying that we are in a different situation. We are not. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. But um, basically, the pressure is on. So what happened was that Amber Rudd decided to, in 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 the following week, um, after the atrocity, hold an emergency tech summit. And she met with executives, uh, senior executives from Google, Facebook, Microsoft and Twitter to discuss the prevention of um, hate speech online. This is the official line to, to, to discuss the prevention of hate sp speech online. And um, well, basically just to, to just to just to argue over, you know, encryption and um it again, she pushed the idea that it's completely unacceptable that British security services can't access information on platforms such as WhatsApp. And she's targeting them, saying that they are providing secret places. She keeps on saying that. And even um, that 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 rag newspaper, the scum, I mean, the sun um, had a front page, um, you know, very provo provocative front page um, saying, you know, WhatsApp, whose side are you on? I mean, <laughs> talk about ignorance but um yeah so um she so she holds this tech summit amber um she held it um and interestingly enough apple weren't invited to it so after that sort of um incoherent um sort of a, a rant uh, about tim cook apple weren't invited but fair enough um so like i said whatsapp uh, google twitter and facebook were invited I'm not sure what came out of that. Um, they certainly discussed things. I'm not sure what agreements were made. I know WhatsApp um, did release a statement say, because they were the ones who were targeted, um, saying that, you know, they, they, they totally support the right to um, privacy and, you know, they, 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 you know, they're not doing their, they're not uh, providing a secret place for terrorists. That's not, it's not what they're about. Um, but the right to privacy probably supersedes, um, you know, the right to, um, obtain um messages in 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 a situation in, in an emergency situation such as a terrorist attack um it's all about what's what's for the greater good and um i i think the government are basically i share the sentiment that um there's actually an ex-cybersecurity chief um major general jonathan shaw and i share his point of view on this now he made he made some statements following the government's pressure on these tech companies saying that um the government are essentially using the, the terrorist attack to grab unnecessary and intrusive surveillance powers um that they are using the moment to uh, push for security services having um having more control despite there only being a sort of a weak and flimsy case for it and I, you know, I'm inclined to agree with what he's saying. It just seems far too opportunist. And, and the type of language that's being used, secret place for terrorists to plan, plot and plan, and, and the nonsense that's being put in the media, whose side are you on? You know, it's, it's all very insidious, but it's kind of manipulating, it's manipulating the public, actually, because the public, the, most of the general public are going to cry for um, um, security um uh, security services to um have access to these messages and have access uh, backdoor access to these platforms because no we need to stop the terrorists the terrorist attacks are, are terrible and they are terrible and the innocent innocent people don't deserve to to live in fear to be attacked or to die or to be injured not at all and we should do what we can to stop this but this isn't the way to do it and 
this whole um, uh, this this relates to the um, the UK government's uh, Snoopers Charter. Now, the Snoopers Charter um, was legislation that I believe was actually uh, passed in around um, uh, sort of the end of last year. And what this was this was um, proposed um, by at the time Home Secretary was Theresa May. And this basically stated that internet uh, service providers and mobile phone companies are to maintain records of uh, the user's um, internet browsing activity and habits um, in the case that the authorities may need it um, as a matter of, you know, national security and counterterrorism. And again, it seems like this isn't enough. The government just want absolute control over everything and to to monitor absolutely everything. And my concern with with this is, okay, if we take what the government are saying as face value, um, if um you know we um we we you know this is to combat terrorism and to protect members of the public um what is then to stop um this 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 back door this routine to get into the wrong hands and then people will be open to um you know extortion and blackmail and all sorts um security breaches all over because i tell you what if there is a backdoor method that the um the government or or the security services can can get into i guarantee you that um any competent hacker will be able to exploit that too so it's a whole can of worms and um i um I don't, um, I don't, I don't agree with it. Um, I don't agree with it at all. And I don't, I think the way the government are going about it and the pressure that the media are putting on tech companies is actually, uh, quite disgusting. Um, so that's what's going on there. Um, use a VPN guys. I, I just say that if you want to protect your, your, your habits, your browsing habits at home from being snooped upon, use a, use, use a virtual private network and you can, you can look into that yourselves. But, um, and I, I understand the argument that, oh, well, if I have nothing to hide, you know, I've got nothing to hide. Why would I care? It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of your right, your right to privacy being sort of chipped away at bit by bit. Something happens. Yeah, you you compromise a little. You say, okay, well, this is for the greater good. You know, it's okay. It's not too bad if they monitor this. And they ask for more and they ask for more and they ask for more. So, and before you know it, you it, it, it is literally like 1984. So um, I, I, I don't support the pressure that um, they are are putting on these tech companies and i am interested to hear what what will come of that that summit and we haven't heard much about what was discussed obviously it was secret um confidential and we haven't heard much about um what decisions were made now interestingly enough this is happening on the other side of the pond so in the usa um the u.s senate uh our friends in the united states the u.s senate voted to let internet providers share the browsing history without permission um and again uh, this is much like the snoopers charter so um again you know for matters of security uh, counterterrorism measures those are the the reasons um given uh for such a decision but um Basically, I think in the States, um, um, they will be allowed to sell, um, enterprise will be able to sell this information, um, um, browse information, which, which 
opens the door to all sorts of in, intrusive uh, things, targeted advertising and, and whatnot. Um, now, I'm not sure. I'm hoping something like that doesn't come to the UK, to be quite honest, um, because that is more of an attack on consumer rights, I would say, what's happening in the United States. And if we sort of idly sit back and allow our our rights to privacy just to be, um, you know, taken away from us, you know, piece by piece, that is obviously going to be the next step. There's going to be uh, come to a point where lots of money uh, changes hands and all sorts of companies and organizations know every aspect of our lives. Um, this isn't just a matter of security or counterterrorism. This is a matter of money and and profit and and, and and control and we you know you we need to resist this at every level um yeah none of us want the terrorists to win but there are other ways to go about it there are other measures that could be taken so we let's not use um unfortunate and and, uh, and tragic um atrocities and situations just to take advantage of the general public because i tell you what most of us um share quite a lot of information about our lives on social media platforms. Um, a lot of us do it quite thoughtlessly. Um, a lot of us post, um, you know, um, uh, our personal views on matters, um, our, our politics, the type of products we like to buy, the type of holidays we like to go on, the type of countries we like to visit, um, our friends, our family, what they like. So again, you can connect dots there. Um, we like to even use Facebook to check into places. So people, you know, they, they know things such as where we like to eat and where we like to shop and, you know, what other recreational activities we may do. Um, you know, and, and we... We, we, we already disclose far too much information about ourselves on social um, on social media platforms. So if at all the authorities um, find a way into those discussions and if at all the authorities, are, like this was happening in the United States, are allowed to sell that information, for goodness sake, there's nothing about our lives we'll be able to keep private. So we must, must resist this. So last episode, we discussed uh, the uh, extortion attempt against Apple uh, by the so-called Turkish crime family, a group of hackers who claims to have access to more than 600 million iCloud accounts. And they are trying to extort Apple for $150,000. I, I keep laughing. $150,000 in Bitcoin by April the 7th. And as of yet, Apple have not paid the ransom uh, and April the 7th is close approaching. And uh, chances are, by the time you listen to this, it could well be April the 7th. So we should know whether they are full of hot air or not. But nonetheless, um, this uh, group did provide a small sample of account credentials um, for verification. And it was 54, I believe. And uh, they uh, sent it to uh, ZDNet. 
who actually did test these out and did claim that they were valid. So they are valid. They did a check using um, Apple's online password reset function. Um, now, these are all um, these are iCloud.com accounts as well as older dot me, uh, um, sorry, me.com accounts and the old mobile me accounts and even older Mac.com accounts. And that, that goes back to, you know, early 2000. Um, now, the interesting thing is, is that um, these are um, all UK based accounts. So these are all people based in the UK. Um, the hacking group claimed that they are going to uh handle um what they you know handle their um remote wiping um in groups in stages um and they also refuse to hand over any um us based accounts now so these are all uk accounts and again i said to you guys um, if you're unsure about all of this, in fact, you should do it anyway. Just switch on um, two-factor um, verification in iOS. And um, um, the, the interesting thing is, so ZDNet contacted these people. They actually contacted these people who own these accounts. And they um, claimed that, or that they, they can confirm after speaking to them, um, that uh, most of those people, the vast majority, use their iCloud, um, the same iCloud email address and password on other sites, so example, Facebook, Twitter, etc., and other services. And it, um, but one person um, said that the password, the alleged password that um, um, apparently the hackers had obtained for his account uh, was outdated and no longer in use um, about two years ago or so. Um, they stopped using it. So I think, and a lot of other people agree, that this hacking group is full of hot air, that they haven't compromised iCloud at all, but rather they've collated a list of um, email addresses that were affected in uh, through security breaches for other services. So we've had various other service, services that have been compromised over the past few years. And I believe that they have cherry picked those with Apple email addresses to create the illusion that um, there has been a breach um, in, in iCloud security. And I think that this actually explains why the sample, the so-called sample that was sent to ZDNet is only UK accounts. There must have been a, a UK-centric service that was compromised. So, and like I say, um, April the 7th, we will see whether this group was full of hot air or not. Um, and like I say, Apple aren't budgeting. They're not going to pay this $150,000. And that's even that amount. As You know, you can extort $150,000 US dollars in Bitcoin. Um, it, it suggests to me it's just a bunch of kids. Intelligent kids, smart kids, don't get me wrong, but a bunch of kids um, just just, just, just trying their luck. Um, anyway, we should find out April the 7th um, if they're full of hot air or not. But Apple are, again, not they're not, they're not playing ball with this. They're not going to give in to these people. They're just saying they're going to continue to work with law enforcement to identify the criminals that are involved. So stay tuned for that one. Apple finally released um, iOS 10.3. 
um, an update to its uh, iPad and iPhone platforms. And this is quite a nifty update. Um, first and foremost, it, it actually includes some very important security fixes. So I advise you to to, to consider updating if you haven't already. Um, but there's some useful features in there as well. Finally, we have a Find My AirPods um, feature. Um, so now within the Find uh, My iPhone app, you can now track your lost AirPods. And I could have done with this feature when I uh, lost my AirPods uh, a month or so, a couple of months ago. Essentially, it's the same thing as uh, tracking any other iOS device. Um, you have a map of the last known location. Now, bear in mind that um, AirPods do not have um, a, a, a GPS uh, radio or cannot independently connect to any Wi-Fi networks. It's just basically a report of where where the place was that your AirPods last talked to your your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad. Um, but it will help you retrace your steps. But more usefully, um, there is uh, the ability, if you have lost uh, an AirPod, a single AirPod or both of them, if they're out of the case, um, you can play a sound on one ear or both ears and it's quite a loud sound it gradually increases in volume um, to help you find that lost airpod um, so it's very useful and i've been in a situation where that would be useful and it might sound silly to some but it's a, it's a welcome addition to um, ios um, other updates include um, there's some basic um, transition animations that have changed when you jump between apps um, it's just to um, allow the um, the user experience to be a, a little bit more faster when you move when you're na you're navigating your way through iOS, and it does speed up the user interface quite significantly. Actually, um, in Maps, you um, can now uh, see the weather if you want. Uh, you can see a local forecast for the area that you are looking at in Maps by using 3D Touch. There is a dedicated Apple ID profile in settings, which is very useful because it was quite annoying how to look at your iCloud stuff. You had to go into iCloud settings and go into your account, uh, or, but to look into your app store stuff, your Apple ID stuff, you had to go into the, um, the store settings and then do it that way. And many people don't have the same um, Apple ID as they do iCloud account because there is a lot of legacy users who used older platforms such as MobileMe. So they don't have um, at iCloud.com email addresses. So this is useful. So you will see in settings right at the top an Apple ID profile. And from there, you can get to your iCloud account and your Apple ID account um, and see everything there, you know, everything in one place. So we're talking about App Store settings, um, iCloud account details, payment information, uh, family sharing settings, etc., etc. Um, now, um, on the iCloud settings page, you actually get um, a, a graphical breakdown of how your storage is being used, much like you would uh, for your device storage in iTunes. Um, and that's quite useful, particularly if you find yourself running out of space. Um, you can see exactly where that space is going at a glance. Now, the, um, the there is... Um, a new update. Uh, there's, Apple have introduced a new file system in in its in in iOS now, and 10.3 brings us this new file system. Um, so it is a 
APFS instead of HFS plus. Now this APFS is better optimized, uh, better optimized for flash storage. Um, so you can get to your files and your application much more quickly. And it also supports a stronger encryption. Now, because it's a change to the file system, I mean, the, up, the update went fine for me, but if you haven't done it yet, I would advise you just in case, just to back up first, um, back up via iCloud or back up via, um, you know, your, your Mac or your Windows um, PC uh, via iTunes. But because it's a brand new system, just make sure you back up first, just as a precaution. Now, um, for UK users, I noticed some changes in iOS 10.3. Uh, first of all, we have full voicemail tran transcription. Um, now, that was, a, that was a feature that was introduced with iOS 10, uh, originally just for US users. Uh, but if you go into the voice, if you have visual voicemail, you go into uh, the voicemail section of the phones app and um, there's a little info um, icon and you tap on that and you then get a transcript of that voicemail, which is handy if you just don't have the time to listen or you want to know whether it's worth your while actually listening to the voicemail particularly if it's from someone who might be not be in your contacts and so visual voicemail isn't identifying them immediately. Um, now that kind of appeared on and off through subsequent updates uh, for UK users. It, it, it appeared as beta basically and then it disappeared and reappeared again and disappeared again. Now it's back and it seems to be there permanently. Um, so check that out if you do have visual voicemail and I believe most of the UK networks do support visual voicemail. I think that's correct. I'm um, not sure about three. I'm not sure three do. Um, so yeah, uh, but most other networks do. Um, now, another feature for UK users that's crept its way in there is uh, better support of Wi-Fi calling. Now, initially Wi-Fi calling was only available to those on the um, EE network. And this is where you are able to um, receive, make and receive calls via a Wi-Fi network. And it's the same, and it'll come out of your, your, your monthly allocation, your monthly allowance of minutes, just the same way. Um, but you're making a call over Wi-Fi rather than the cellular network. And um, you, uh, this is good for when you have a low, uh, a low signal. So you can still get a good quality call provided that you have a strong Wi-Fi connection. And in, and, and in most cases, it's actually better quality than just use a regular phone call. Um, and basically, um, this, like I said, it was only introduced, uh, it was only um, uh, supported by EE. Now it's supported by 3 and O2. And O2 haven't made much fanfare about this, but it's definitely there. So if you drill into your settings in iOS 10.3, um, search for Wi-Fi calling, um, you can you can switch it on. With um, O2, I'm an O2 customer, you um, um, were directed to a website where you had to request it formally from the My O2 section. And it did say that I had to wait 24 hours before I was activated, but, uh, and yeah, sure enough, by the next day it was activated so I could go back into settings, switch it on, and now I get Wi-Fi calling. Um, now O2 did, um, have its own, um, a T, um, a, a TU, um, Wi-Fi app, uh, which, um, 
it wasn't very good because it was an app that you had to uh, sort of keep running in the background and it 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 just didn't work very nicely but it's much more nicely now it's part of the native ios experience so you can actually get rid of tu and just go with the native um, um ios uh, wi-fi call-in experience and same with three who had the three in touch app you don't need that anymore it's all supported natively within ios um so that is ios 10.3 Apple also um, released the update to Mac OS Sierra. So this is 10.12.4. And this update, uh, well, the, one of the main features, apart from bug fixes and, and, and security updates, um, one of the main fi uh, features is the introduction of Night Shift Mode. Now, Night Shift Mode was introduced initially on iOS. Um, it uh, reduced the uh, the blue light in, in your screen, which you can set at certain times or toggle um, on and off manually, um, which will, because a lot of people do their browsing on the, inter on the internet or use of their computer um, just before bed, literally in bed sometimes in the case of using an iPhone or an iPad. And it's the blue lights that they say can affect your sleep quality. So what Night Shift does is adjust the colors so it uses less blue light and uses the warmer end of the color spectrum. Um, so you'll see a screen slightly yellowish um, and this is better for, better for your eyes at night and, and won't affect your sleep as much, apparently. Um, so now Night Shift is, um, is there um, in a part of um, a Mac OS Sierra. Um, it's, um, it's not supported by all devices, although the vast majority do. Um, just, to, just to run through the ones that... Um, so uh, the MacBook Air, for example, uh, mid-2012 or later, any device uh, mid-2012 or later will be supported. Um, in terms of the MacBook, the slim MacBook, early 2015 or later. The MacBook Pro, mid-2012 or later. The Mac Mini, late 2012 or later. The iMac, late 2012 or later. And the Mac Pro, late 2013, uh, which hasn't been updated anyway. So, um, yeah, so the, most of you should be able to, 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 to enjoy, in, in, enjoy night shift mode. Um, other updates uh, in terms of features include um, Siri support for cricket uh, scores, um and um just various um yeah international um cricket scores um dictation support for um other languages i believe have crept in there but english was always supported um and um just 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 general sort of ui improvements um for example um the subject line in in the mail app um wasn't wasn't too too it's more visible now it's more bold little things like that but most importantly the update includes bug fixes and and then there are various security updates in there so that's mac that's the update for mac os sierra or both updates are available now just go to the um if ios just go to the settings app and uh search for software update um in terms of mac os sierra um you can find the update in the um the app store and Apple also had an update for the Apple Watch. Um, now, this update, um, again, just a little bit of performance in, in, in improvements and uh, bug fixes. Um, but in terms of a new feature, it introduces theater mode. So theater mode, um, you know, you swipe up to, um, to your Apple Watch um, 
your, sh your shortcuts in your Apple Watch and you will uh, see an icon for theatre mode. Now what this does is there is actually an annoying problem when you go to the cinema uh, and if you have an Apple Watch, any sort of movement of your wrist or if messages come through, um, you know, your phone, your, your, your watch lights up. Um, that can be distracting for some people in, in the dark cinema. So what theater mode essentially does is um, allow the messages to come through. You still feel them in terms of the taptic feedback, but um, the screen does not um, does not switch on, does not light up, and they are there ready for you to um, to read uh, once your movie is over. So that's the update for the Apple Watch. Now, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, uh, known as WWDC, um, is scheduled for uh, June, this June. So between June the 5th to the 9th, will be held in San Jose, California. And normally at WWDC, Apple gives us a first look of the next version of iOS. So we will no doubt see what iOS 11 will have to offer. And we tend to see this before we see any new hardware. Now, some um, news is, is have been, has been reported uh, by the blog The Verifier, and who claim to have spoken to um, some of Apple's development teams based in Israel. Now, we know some of these teams work directly on AI, artificial intelligence, and they claim that uh, Siri will soon be getting some AI enhancements, um, allowing her or it to learn uh, certain usage habits uh, and other action options depending on context. So Siri will be able to process contextual information, much like Cortana can at the moment. Um, now, apparently, Siri is going to have quite large integration into iMessage. So, for example, when you are in a message and... Um, you're discussing certain things, let's say you're discussing uh, lunch options, dinner options, etc. Siri will analyze the discussion and Siri will uh, give suggestions. So for, in that example, Siri will give suggestions to relevant uh, restaurants within the context of that conversation. Um, Siri could even check uh, when, you know, when both people are available, when there's free time, you know, provided they're both iOS users. Yeah, Siri could suggest, you know, this looks like a good time to do this. Um, and uh, even offer sort of navigation uh, to the destination, um, book, uh, book an Uber for, 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 the, for the relevant people involved um, or any other sort of taxi service. Um, this can all be done contextually from within the Messages app. Um, and, you know, Siri will just give you present you with an option and you can choose to take it. So this sounds extremely useful. Um, that was probably a rather clumsy example of how it couldn't be used, but I'm sure Apple will blow us away um, with uh, better examples of, of how this can, can be used. And it will be called revolutionary and it'll be called magical. But nonetheless, Siri is in need of some AI enhancements. It is falling behind the likes of uh, Microsoft's Cortana. Um, and, um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to see what they have to offer and so we will see this no doubt unveiled uh, at WWDC and whatever other enhancements await us uh, within the iOS platform. In addition to that uh, Siri is also going to be integrated with iCloud um, so that will um, allow it to work across uh, multiple devices that share the same Apple ID. Now this is was sorely needed. Um, so Basically, it can um, identify the connections between the devices um, and offer um, 
sort of uh, actions and steps from the devices. So Siri will um, be able to do something specifically on your iPad or specifically on your iPhone and hopefully Apple TV because there needs to be uh, a better better sort of um, um, commonality between the way Siri performs there and on iOS devices, um, depending on the context of the request and the command. Um, so that, that would be great actually, um, to be, be able to say, um, and I'm just guessing here, but it would be most useful if I can say to Siri, Hey, um, play, uh, such and such video on my Apple TV from my phone. And by the time I get to my TV, it's on, it's playing. Um, you know, that, that, that would be most useful. Or for example, um, uh, from my Apple TV, I, I hopefully would, should be able to initiate a phone call. So, um, yeah, call such and such on my iPhone on speaker without me actually having to find my iPhone. So, um, you know, that would be absolutely great. So I'm looking forward to that again. WWDC will be one to watch. biggest tech news of the past week uh, is undoubtedly the launch of Samsung's new 2017 flagship phone, the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S8 Plus. Now, Samsung held a, um, well, an inter international launch uh, events um, on Wednesday, March 29th, uh, both in London's Olympic Park and New York's Lincoln Center. Now, these events were held simultaneously, and these were press-only events. Um, and this is where Samsung live-streamed to the rest of us uh, and unveiled their, their new phone. Now, now, it looks impressive. As a piece of hardware, this looks impressive. Now, you got to remember, though, this phone is very important for Samsung because of the whole um, Galaxy Note 7 debacle that happened last year, where phones were catching fire uh, and exploding and injuring people, um, banned on international flights, all manner of disasters for Samsung. Um, this is everything to them. And they have to, they have everything to lose because they have to gain um, consumer trust once again. And um, so this phone has to impress people enough to take a chance on Samsung again. Um, and in terms of um, what was going on with the um, the batteries, um, Samsung claimed that um, they have an eight point battery check in place now, and they um, you know in, in, in ensure that um, their devices are safe, and they have identified the fault. Um, and you know, the, the galaxy, uh, S8 is a perfectly uh, safe phone and Samsung made many phones and in all fairness to them, it was only the galaxy note seven where, where, where those sort of problems occurred, but nonetheless, this is an extremely important product for Samsung. And I believe they have everything to lose because the minute we get any reports of, um, even if it's just one or two 
Galaxy S8 catching fire or exploding, um, I think they're pretty much done in the smartphone space. But um, this does look like a good device in all in, in all fairness to them. Um, just to run through some of the features. Well, basically, you have the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S8 Plus um, using Apple's naming convention for um, their standard smartphone and their phablet uh, size smartphone. So the Galaxy S8 has a 5.0 inch screen. Uh, the S8 Plus has a 6.2 inch screen, which is rather large. Um, and basically, the um, in terms of specs, they're exactly the same. Um, they're both... Um, metallic phones um they both have um this new uh dual edge infinity display uh which is a bezel-less display and i'll move on to that in a minute um and um basically um the obviously the larger phone weighs a little bit more um and is a little bit taller and a little bit wider now um some so back to the features of the s8 um the first of all the most impressive thing is the infinity display which is um basically a, an edge to edge screen so they have got rid of their home button they uh the, the phone essentially has um an edge to edge uh, display uh, amoled display um extremely impressive um the uh there are um a there's a virtual home button in in place underneath much like apple's um iphone 7 uh it's not visible but it's there um and also um the this also affects the um the, the fingerprint sensor um now that's been moved to the back of the phone which is a little bit awkward because the phone is quite tall it might be quite difficult for you to get your finger um, in place uh, to use a fingerprint sensor um, and it you know there's, there's a chart because it's so close to the camera lens you might end up smudging touching your camera lens but nonetheless it's at the back now um, I don't think they've figured out how to get the sensor underneath the screen and I believe um, as always I believe that um, and, and, and evidence shows that a lot of Samsung's phones are a direct response to rumors concerning Apple's forthcoming phones and I think that they just haven't, they, they heard the rumors that Apple were going to release um, a bezel-less screen, um, but they hadn't yet figured out how to get that sensor, that fingerprint sensor for Android Pay, Samsung Pay or whatever, that sort of thing, underneath the screen. And I believe Apple would probably crack that, um, but that remains to be seen. Um, now, um, um, other things about the screen it hasn't always on display so you can view various information such as a clock calendar even when the screen is is, is off um, um, there is um, a multi-window function uh, so sort of split screen uh, multitasking you can run two apps simultaneously uh, without changing the screen um, you can sort of um, pin a selected app to the top uh, and, and just use other apps in the lower lower window um, you can also, um, capture, um, you can, um, snippet an area of content from your screen and share with others. Um, also Samsung have now introduced, um, other ways because the fingerprint, um, sensor is at the back. And I think Samsung know this probably isn't the most convenient place. They are reintroducing from the Galaxy Note 7 um, 
iris recognition. Um, so, you know, the, the shape and pattern of your iris is analyzed and that authenticates you and gets you into the device. And it, and it you know, it um, bolsters the security of your device. Um, so you can verify your Samsung account, your Google account, sign into web pages, do that all sort of thing and unlock your screen. Um, it's also included a facial recognition, which I have heard works extremely well and is extremely fast. Um, a lot like a sort of Windows Hello, um, it analyzes the um, your your face and I would imagine your gait. And um, so instead of um, you know using a pin or anything to get into your phone, you just it's very quick. You look into the, the phone, looks at you. Um, look into the phone, the phone looks at you, and you're in. Um, and so, um, you know, um, so they're working around um, having a fingerprint. You know, there are alternative ways of getting into your phone. Um, and this, this is impressive. And I think this is the way things are going to go. I think Apple are going to do the same sort of thing. We've heard about rumors um, concerning um, uh, 3D facial scanning um, and, and, and that way to sort of authenticate um, yourself getting, to get into your device. Um now, Samsung, with this update, have also introduced um, some new services. They have um, introduced a, a, a personal assistant, a digital assistant, much like Siri, um, called Bixby. Um, now, Bixby um, seems very intelligent um, and can give you things like reminders and weather and alarms. And, and, and Bixby will uh, analyze your usage patterns and provide suggestions and information uh, based, based on the context of your actions. Um, there is a feature called Bixby Vision, um, which is essentially uh, lets you search for information um, by um, scanning objects. Um, so that is, you know, searching for products and places and things that's very similar to Google Goggles. Um, you can also create reminders and notifications to do that sort of thing. You can do that from videos, images, or websites to view them later. So um, remind me to watch this video later, remind me to check this, this photo album later, etc., cetera, or, or, or browse this site later. Um, and Bixby works much like Siri or OK Google in, uh, in that there is a dedicated Bixby key on the side of the phone. You can um, hold that to activate Bixby or you can simply um, call Bixby. You just say, hey, Bixby, um, and Bixby will respond to you. Um, you can, um, and this is one thing I'd like to see Siri do with Apple's devices. You can start a conversation with Bixby not only by talking, but um, by also by typing. And that's convenient because, it, it, you know, it, it's not always convenient to be speaking to your phone. If you're in a public place, you might not want to be yelling, hey, Bixby, hey, Siri, or whatever. Um, so being able to sort of type a command, remind me to do this at six o'clock, is very useful. Um, now, um, Samsung... Also, um, introducing something called a secure folder uh, in that their uh, private content and apps can be stored in this specific folder, um, you know, photos and, and the notes and what have you. But this folder can't be accessed by others. Um, so you can actually hide um, the secure folder when the device is unlocked. So if you're giving your phone to the kids or giving your phone to someone to use, there's no way they can um, stumble across the content in that folder. Um, you can also, um, there's, there's a thing called a Samsung Pass, 
where you can um, register your various IDs and passwords for websites. Um, and um, you can retrieve that uh, securely using biometric data rather than logging in. So your your fingerprint and um, you know your 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 face, your iris, etc. Now that's obviously a lot like iCloud Keychain, you know, where you've got a number of um, user accounts and passwords that are saved, uh, card, credit card information, etc. And um, you know, Touch ID, you can retrieve that. Uh, with Touch ID, you can retrieve that. So it it that is their version of iCloud Keychain, um, and. Yeah, basically the, the usual features, Samsung Pay and Samsung Cloud, etc. are all there. Now, the more innovative features include um, Bluetooth dual audio. Now, this is handy. Um, you can stream audio from one smartphone, right? So the, the, the Galaxy S8 to up to two Bluetooth headsets or speakers simultaneously. And you can also adjust the volume levels for each device independently, allowing users to listen comfortably. So that's very handy. In actual fact, I can think of a number of ways, having a multi-speaker set up in your home, sharing, listening to an album uh, with, with someone, you know, simultaneously. Um, I, I can see that working. I can, I can definitely see that working or, or, or maybe even, you know, watching them um, let's say this is on a tablet, um, watching a movie and listening, and, and you're both watching it, but you're both listening to it with headphones in, so on a plane, on, on, on a coach, or, or something like that. Um, that opens some good possibilities. Um, now, another uh, innovative feature uh, seems to be um, Samsung DeX. Now, Samsung DeX is, um, it's much like the, uh, the desktop mode that some of the Windows phone devices had in that you can purchase a dock, which I believe is around 160 pounds. I could be wrong. Um, and basically you, um, when you connect your phone to that dock and that dock is connected to a monitor or screen. Okay. You get a desktop version of your phone. You get a desktop version of your phone. Now, um, what it essentially is, is um, it's still Android. So it's a desktop version of Android, but you can plug a mouse into the dock, you plug a keyboard into the dock, and obviously you connect to an external display, and you can use it as a desktop. So you can use your Android versions of Microsoft Office and get full productivity, um, work on documents, uh, you know, for a long period of time in total comfort. Um, it's not... <laughs> I wouldn't say it's going to replace your desktop computer just yet, but if you just do basic computing tasks, if you just only use the computer to check your Facebook or or to, to, to write the odd letter, it could be quite useful to, for someone. Um, now, like I said, it's a desktop version of Android, so it's not Windows, it's not Mac OS, um, but it's a useful feature nonetheless. Um, and uh, it, it um, I, I think it serves a small segment of people people who are very casual users of computers would find it most useful and again you know so you're and it is becoming the case where these devices that we carry are becoming very powerful and these are extremely powerful pocket computers that we have with us so why not why not make it the all-in-one device that does everything you you can need for hardcore uh, users like myself and many of you, it's not gonna it's not gonna cut it as a desktop solution. But it, it it's nice. It's a nice option, even though that dock is a little bit pricey. I think. 
Um, now, other, other, other features are the ones that have been introduced uh, from before, you know, water resistance and you have um, Samsung Cloud, which is a basically their version of iCloud, um, where you can store images, videos and apps, etc, etc on Samsung Cloud and uh, retrieve it, view it on other Samsung Cloud devices. So the, that's the Galaxy S8. Um, the screen is gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. The screen is absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm, I make no secret of the fact that I am an iOS user. I'm an Apple iPhone user. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply invested in the Apple ecosystem, and I, um, I'm not, I've not really been a fan of Samsung at all, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I'm impressed with the hardware of this phone, not so much the services. I believe the services, many of them are, are, are much of a me too approach. Um, just following on what from Apple are doing. Samsung just seems to be offering their version of an existing Apple service. And it's kind of weird because it's, it's a, it's an Android phone, but there are equivalent services that Google offer natively for Android. So there's a bit of double dip in there. But nonetheless, that's the Galaxy S8. The the Galaxy S8 model is £689. The Galaxy S8 Plus model is £779. And obviously those are uh, SIM-only prices. You will be able to get um, uh, it on mobile contracts and those prices will vary depending on your network. Now, there are a number of different colors uh, for the Galaxy S8. We have Midnight Black, Orchid Grey, Coral Blue, Arctic Silver and Maple Gold. Um, and obviously Samsung will probably uh, introduce more colors uh, going forward. Now, um, all configurations of the phones in terms of um, specification are exactly the same. The specs are exactly the same. They uh, All models have uh, four gigs of RAM. In terms of storage, there only seems to be one configuration, and that's 64 gigabytes. Um, I'm not sure if Samsung going to offer higher capacity uh, in future or not, but do remember that um, that this phone does support the use of micro SD cards to, for you to increase your storage. Uh, but all, as I say, all, all, all um, configurations of this phone go on sale with uh, 64 gigabytes of storage. But it is all about that edge-to-edge um, -edge display. And we really, really need to see Apple deliver something um, new. Because um, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of pressure on Apple now. Apple's iPhone 7 is a very good phone. I use one myself. But the problem is it looked like the two generations of iPhones before it, the iPhone 6 Plus, um, sorry, the iPhone 6S and the iPhone 6. Now, Apple cannot afford to release a phone that looks the same. It, the design is looking to be slightly dated. And there are rumors that we're going to get the beautiful OLED display and edge, an edge-to-edge -edge screen. Now, I'm hoping they deliver. In terms of how the phone functions, um, in terms of services, we know Apple always deliver, but it needs to look fresh. It needs to look new. And I myself, as an iPhone user, and many other iPhone users I speak to, even though they would, you know, that defend uh, Apple at any cost, um, admit, they actually admit that uh, we have a little bit of screen envy now. Um, I mean, look, let's, let's, let's look at this screen. This Infinity Display edge to edge, it, it, it looks stunning. Um, now the resolution of this screen is um, 2960 by 1440 pixels. 
on both models um, and is classified as the first mobile phone to be rated as mobile HDI HDR premium um, and we have HDR TVs now uh, and basically um, for those who don't know um, it, it reaches a certain HDR means it, it reaches a certain standard for high dynamic range content um, so blacks are blacker whites are brighter and whiter um, and there is a sort of a large larger scale of, of, of brightness than, than most in this case most other phones and ironically enough um, it it's a, it's like it's a case of the grass is green on the other side actually um, because um, Samsung owners also have uh, phone envy too and um, I believe Samsung owners um, a lot of these features that they introduce are catch up features so it's like oh yeah we can do that too we can do that too and Samsung have operated uh, in this manner also and Samsung themselves as an organization so I really shouldn't say they're users. Um, seem to be um, seem to have iPhone envy, and it's quite funny because um, this has been reported by many news outlets at the press event um, that um, Samsung's um, uh, Samsung's vice president of global product planning for mobile, um, and that is a um, uh, Robert Kim, I believe the name is, and I could be wrong, yeah, but Robert Kim. Um, basically um said that the, the galaxy s8 was codenamed dream okay it's been about three years in the making apparently um um, um a year longer than most uh, typical product development cycles but it's codenamed dream and according to kim the dream may have double meaning and he basically said that the s8 was conceived as the dream to overcome apple so they're, again, they're so focused on their rival Apple. It, rather than to bring out the best product, we need, we want to beat the iPhone. We 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 envy the iPhone. We want to beat the iPhone. Um, and you know, Samsung have had have been accused repeatedly. They've been in and out of court of lifting features from from Apple's devices and 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 as I mentioned just now, um, copying services. So apple so samsung have iphone envy and iphone users right now have samsung screen envy so it's an interesting situation um goes both ways um but nonetheless that's the galaxy s8 i've not had a chance to use one yet um i'm not a samsung fan um my brother is uh and he is uh he's put down his pre-order and um basically um i will play around with it then i'll try and get back to you with my fair impressions i mean i you know but people say i'm apple biased i am not but i'll get back to you um with uh fair impressions um and you know it this is good because competition is good and apple can't rest on their laurels anymore um so i'm, I'm glad they're they're really taking it to apple i wish samsung would have a bit more confidence in their products in, in everything does not everything has to be a uh response um to the iphone you know um they should try and sell the phones on their own merits uh rather than um you know we can do this too um you know we we can beat apple we're, we're you know we're like apple we're just as good as apple uh but nonetheless um samsung are good at, at, at you know putting components together they make components so apple are relying on samsung for their oled screens it's been told but um it's the software engineering and the 
sort of the, the coherent um, user experience where they tend to struggle a little. But nonetheless, I look, I'm looking forward to playing around with one. Um, and so you can pre-order right now. Um, you can, I've already mentioned the prices. Samsung have also, um, replicated Apple's upgrade program. Um, so you pay a monthly amount, you get your phone and you can upgrade after 12 months to the latest version. Uh, as long as you continue those monthly payments and trade in the older phone, uh, look, check out their website for that. Um, that's a Samsung update plan, much like Apple's update per plan. And, um, you can actually be able to get your hands on, on, on the Galaxy S8, um, its release date, which is April the 28th. But like I said, pre-orders are open now and, uh, there doesn't seem to be any stock issues. I think, um, if you, if you, if you haven't pre-ordered already, you still should be good to, uh, grab one on release day. Now, more alarmingly, and I, and I hate to keep on um, dwelling, dwelling on um, Samsung's Galaxy Note 7, the exploding phones, but more alarmingly, from my point of view at least, um, Samsung have announced that it could very well refurbish um, and sell some of those millions of Galaxy Note 7 phones that were recalled. Um, they're spinning it as it's an effort to manage the stockpile in an environmentally friendly manner. And they've got the uh, the full backing of the likes of Greenpeace, because obviously there are a lot of materials used and just for those to be disposed of would be um, would be would be a, right, a waste. And then and, and there would be an environmental impact. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I wasn't aware of this, but it's a statement uh, from Jude Lee. Uh, of Greenpeace East Asia, people around the world signed petitioned and emailed Samsung CEO and demonstrated in cities around the world. And finally, Samsung has listened. So and this is a major win for everyone that took action and a step towards shifting the way we produce and dispose of electronics. Um, I think this is a huge mistake. I think this is a huge mistake. And, and, and why on earth would Samsung want to draw attention to the negative uh, publicity of the Galaxy Note 7. They should just leave that in the past. They've got the Galaxy S8 now. People are not going to... Who's going to want this? Who's going to want a refurb Galaxy Note 7? Now, I appreciate that Samsung did their investigations and um, in January they, 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 they concluded that it was faulty batteries uh, that caused the phones to explode. But we're talking about a product a product that its reputation has been tarnished um, among, among consumers. Um, it... You know, this this phone was banned uh, on for use on planes, um, banned in being placed in check luggage uh, in in some places, um, and you know this is a phone that exploded and and overheated, exploded, burst into flames, and hurt many people. Um, but Samsung claimed that they're going to um, recycle um, uh, these these phones. Um, and they're, the, how they're going to be used is that they claim they could be sold as refurbished phones or, or offered as rental phones. I think this is commercial suicide. Um, they haven't um, set a timeline for this. They, they're considering it. They've got the full backing of, 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 of environmental groups such as Greenpeace. Um, and they're saying that the markets and release dates are yet to be determined. So... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate, the, you know, something needs to be done to properly recycle these phones um, and perhaps their components. But because we're talking about millions of phones here, I mean, all, all of them were recalled. I mean, there's probably a few still out there in the wild, but the majority were recalled. But why would they want this? Why would they want to do this? It's just a boneheaded idea. This is, I mean, this is the problem with Samsung. 
they're full of boneheaded ideas. And this is almost, I mean, even the launch of the Galaxy S8, which I would argue in the tech from in the tech community, um, people are enthusiastic about that phone, if not a little cautious, understandably cautious. We want to see if they really learned the lessons of the battery issue. But even that, funnily enough, was a misstep because the Galaxy S8 um, international press event was on the same day that um, Article 50 was triggered, you know, for the UK to leave the EU. So they didn't exactly grab the press then. Um, we knew that it was going to be triggered on that day or we had a feeling it was going to be triggered on that day. And of course, the papers were, weren't talking about Samsung's shiny new product. They were talking about Article 50. So um, they, they, they do make some silly, silly decisions, Samsung. But nonetheless, launching the phone on the day that uh, the UK formally withdraws its membership from, from the EU is one thing. But to actually resell, refurbish and resell a phone that, we, that is notorious for um, exploding, catching fire, overheating, whatever, is, like I said, commercial suicide. It's weird. It's a silly decision. I, I, I just don't know what Samsung are doing there. But um, well, that well, that remains to be seen. We'll we'll see if these how exactly these Note Sevens are going to be recycled, and and let's see if anyone picks them up. I mean, would you? Well, that's about all the time we have for this week's edition of the Intersection. Thanks again for joining us. Um, if you haven't yet subscribed to us, you can find us on most leading podcast directories. We are on Tuned In Radio. We are also on uh, the Apple Podcasts app in the iTunes store and uh, we're listed there but for full instructions for subscription please visit our website which is intersectioncast.com if you wish to use social media to follow us you can do so uh, you can get us uh, follow our twitter account at let's intersect you can find our facebook page uh, facebook.com slash intersectioncast if you have any questions, feedback, uh, any topics you want us to cover in future, please do so. We, we welcome all, all, all feedback from you. Um, you can contact us in a variety of ways. You can leave us a Skype voicemail. Um, you'll find our Skype account, which is um, feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can also email us at the address if you prefer to do so. Or you can leave a comment on our website, intersectioncast.com. Once again, thanks for joining me. I'm Jonathan Wildman signing off this episode of The Intersection. Hope you guys have a great week. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection.